Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm here. Are you there? No, I'm here. You're there. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I knew it was one of the way, one way or the other. So, what is this English 2.0? Well, did you read the uh, little blurb in the top of the blue box there? I read the blurb. Okay. I was just joined to see what was going on. Okay, well, it looks like it's you and me and Vlad. Vlad ain't talking at the moment, but he's lurking. He's been around here. <laughs> he and I have been talking before. Um, well, I don't know what... Maybe... Uh, are, are you a computer programmer, per chance? Actually, yes. Okay, see, it's interesting. A lot of the people that show up here are programmers because they have a, a an obvious understanding of the idea of languages having structure. I mean, if you have a job right. to do, the very first thing you need to do is talk to the client and find out what they want the application to do. I mean, that's where it all starts. Only after you've clarified exactly what they want, then you go out and pick a language to do the job in because the 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 job specs determine what language is, is best suited for that job. If you're writing a database for a bank, that's a very different job than writing a 3D shooter uh, video game. So, yeah. uh, so you pick a different language. And uh, the same is true of natural languages. Uh, English, all natural languages, have roots that go back many thousands of years with threads coming from all over the place. And uh, basically, uh, English, in my case and yours, uh, is the operating system for our meat computer. I mean, Windows or OS X or Linux or some other things are operating systems for silicone computers. Well, you have a computer in your head, a language machine, only it's made of meat. But it's a machine nonetheless. It's just a machine, the language machine, and it generates language according to the rules of English, in your case and mine. And it turns out that English has uh, got some serious problems if you're trying to do any serious thinking. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's enough. Ask me a question. <laughs> Well, uh, have you have you you formulated this English 2.0, or you're just kind of talking about the need for it? No, um, what I've uh, identified so far for the 2.0 release is English minus the five stupidities. Just what I'm doing is, like I say, literally debugging English. I'm not trying to make us smarter. I'm trying to make us less stupid. The result would be the same, you know, life going better, <laughs> you know. And actually, I think uh, working on minimizing stupidity is a far better strategy than working on increasing intelligence because a lot of really intelligent people get themselves in all sorts of trouble uh, because they're also really stupid in addition to being really smart. So uh, I think if we 
really work on eliminating the stupidities in our thinking that we could significantly alter the course of history, actually, the course of evolution, even. Okay, I have two conversations here, just in case. Well, that's not a good idea when you're trying to talk about this stuff. You probably ought to go have your other conversation and finish it up, and, and then. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was, yeah, I wasn't, uh, wasn't busy, and somebody just came up and started jabbering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's one of the um, things I, I really need is 100%. When I'm talking to people, they have 100% of my attention, and I expect the same. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I didn't expect the interruption. Um, I forgive you. What about, uh, what was that language that was constructed? Esperanto. Um, yes, that was the one I was thinking of. There are a lot of them, too. There's um, some other logic. It was constructed that way. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I don't think, I think English is taking over the planet whether we like it or not. I think our job is to fix English rather than invent some other language. I mean, Esperanto still lives. There are millions of Esperanto speakers, and I know some of them. They have conventions every year. People from all over the world uh, show up at the Esperanto conventions. But uh, I, I think that's a dead issue. We've got to clean up English. So what are the five stupidities that you've identified? Well, um, like I said, I can... I can list them for you easily, but it's totally irrelevant. It's not going to make one bit of difference because knowing about it doesn't change the programming in your language machine. Uh, and I, I will list them, but actually I want to tell you, have you, have you how much time do you have to talk? Uh, probably about 20, 30 minutes. Oh, that's plenty of time. Uh, at I this need, point, I don't, even, somebody... I don't even need nearly that much. But uh, the, what I need to do is tell you a little story that makes a point about language first, and, and then we can talk about the five stupidities. Uh, and if you've heard this story, stop me. But uh, okay. it's a good story that makes a point. A man and his son were driving home from a soccer game one Saturday afternoon, and they were involved in a head-on collision. The father was killed instantly. The son was taken to an emergency operating room in critical condition. The surgeon walked in, took one look at the kid, and said, I'm sorry, I can't operate on him. That's my son. So, that story. Is there a problem there, or is, it, is there not a problem there? Well, I uh, certainly hadn't heard it before, and it sounds like there's a problem. Okay, right, it does. And I've told this story to thousands of people, and everybody thinks there's a problem with that story. And I can assure you there is no problem with that story. There is an apparent paradox, but that paradox is a result of an unconscious assumption that the English language has made for you. So that when you, when I, as I was telling you that story, there was a sort of parallel stream going on in your language machine, and it made an assumption that's incorrect. But as long as that assumption is, remains in place and unconscious, uh, there is no solution to this, this apparent paradox. And, in fact, what I want to say also is that all, not all, but I would say, what, 90% of personal, uh, spiritual, uh, real psychological problems that people have are actually not problems at all, but apparent problems. And, of course, an attempt to solve an apparent problem actually creates a real problem. So, uh, anyway... The whole point of this story is to, is to show the power of an unconscious assumption to derail the most obvious logic in the world. 
people come up with all sorts of weird explanations for this story. You know, instant reincarnation, and clones, and step parents, and you know everything except the uh, logical, <laughs> obvious, deductive reasoning that's imaginable. Have you got a clue yet? What's going on? Not really. I mean, just don't feel bad because when <laughs> I tell you, you're gonna feel bad. But it's okay because everybody okay. falls for it. People have two parents: one male, one female. Male dead. Therefore, the surgeon is his mother. A mother, yeah. Of course. Okay. How obvious can it be? But why wasn't that logic available? How, how much is that a problem? How much is that a problem with the language rather than uh, cultural? Well, they go together. Uh, you, can't, you can't really separate them. They, they, in languages that have uh, gender endings on the end of all their nouns, that's impossible to have that paradox. Because uh, you can't yeah. say surgeon without saying female surgeon. <laughs> Well, then, well, even in in the highly structured languages like Latin, for example, the uh, endings uh, are actually over time you've got some verbs like Agricola, which is a farmer, which looks like a female uh, noun, is actually used as yeah. a masculine. Yeah, yeah there are. It is possible to confuse yourself in any language, no question about it. It's just that in many languages that do have gender endings, this kind of a problem is less. And actually, this is a trivial problem. In any real situation, this would never be a problem. It's only in a weird little constructed story like this that's designed to make the right. point that, that this would be a problem. But there, the five stupidities are other words or groups of words in English that carry un- equally unconscious, erroneous assumptions, but they're, they're far from trivial. They color our, our whole... Uh, our whole view of reality, the story of our life, is based on a whole series of unconscious, erroneous assumptions. And, and the first and most obvious one is that people are identified with the stream of language in their language machine. You know, that voice in your head you know, that talks all day and has an opinion about everything and makes up the story of your life? Most people actually believe everything they hear it say. In fact, they think that voice is them. But it's not them. That voice is merely a language machine. It's a meat machine, but it's a language machine nonetheless, just as much of a machine as your computer is, only far more complex, and an operating system that is 10,000 years old, full of streams coming in from many different uh, you know, tributaries to form the language that you and I think in now, and that language has never been debugged, and it carries all sorts of erroneous, unconscious assumptions. Okay, um, And the five stupidities are easy to list. The first one is the word the. It's the most common word in English. It accounts for about 6% of all written text. And it's wrong. Up to 90% of the time, it carries an unconscious assumption of exclusivity. In fact, uh, tr- I, want, I want to hear you say... What's an answer? Say that out loud. What's an answer? Okay, now say what's the answer. Okay. Say it out loud, though. I want to hear you say it out loud. What, what's, what's the answer? Yeah, yeah, and what's an answer? Do you notice yeah. a difference in the, in the kind of feeling tone in your mouth or throat when you try to say those two things? Not really, but I, I see what you're getting at, though. 
because uh, we title we title the as being uh, like a singular. Yeah, the answer as yeah. opposed to merely an answer. The, the thing is, though, that English has default values, just like any uh, good address book does. You know? The the is actually two words, really. You know, you have the answer and you have the answer. It's there's actually two of them. One implying that. like. Well, I mean, it's it. People use like well, the answer like all capitals. You know, there's a peculiar emphasis yeah. on the way they say it. Yeah. They mean a singular. Right. And then there's a less stressed version, like the dog, not no, but the just, dog, just as, but no, no, the no, dog. No, okay. Uh, I would t- say that logically, uh, you know, I mean, from a logic point of view, there's no d- difference between there. There may be an emotional stress that you can add to it, but logically, there. I well, I don't know. I think there might actually be a linguistic, uh, a linguistic thing there. You know, uh, well, I'll have to take stress. The stress on a word changes its meaning quite a bit. Chinese is a better example of that, where yeah. you can change the pitch of something and well, mean something completely than other than what you meant. The whole meaning. <laughs> well, there's a great example of that. If I say uh, the, the sentence, I didn't tell John you are an idiot, okay, with no stress. If I say, I didn't tell John you were an idiot, it's different than I didn't tell John you were an idiot. I didn't tell John you were an idiot. I didn't tell John you were an idiot. <laughs> You know, Paul right. will change them completely, but um, but in this case, I, I won't I won't belabor the point. I'll I'll grant you that those may be different. I haven't really looked at that, and I'll I'm, I will consider that. But it's not necessary to make the point here that um, right. the if I tell you to go into the next room and get the green chair, the assumption is there is only one green chair in the next room. If you go in there and find two right. green chairs, you're going to be confused. Or if you find only a blue chair, you know, or something. So the point is, the word the, or how many times have you heard people say, well, that's the way it is? Well, that's simply not true. It's merely a way of thinking about it. There's no such thing as the way it is. There are only different ways of thinking about it. But I'm not Mm going to go into, I don't want to go into justifying these things and explaining them in detail because it's really sort of a waste of time, actually, to do that. Um... Anyway, the word the is, is the <laughs> most dangerous word in English because it, 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 it comes up so often. Most language machines generate between 50 and 300,000 words a day. If 6% of those are the, even at the low figure of 50,000, that's 3,000 utterances containing the word the, and at the low end, half of those are carrying an erroneous assumption of exclusivity. I mean, if you're looking for the answer to a problem, if your boss comes and says, I want you to find the answer to this problem, and so you go doing a little research and you find an answer, but you mistake it for the answer, well, then you don't need to look any further (laughs) because you found the answer. Whereas if you only see it as, oh, I found an answer, just look for a few more (laughs) and see if we can't come up with something really creative, you know? So the... This word the, That's a real it, problem in police work. <laughs> it, well, it's a real problem in anybody trying to do any serious thinking and analysis. Because the word the is the default value in English for words like truth, explanation, reason, answer, and a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, because I don't have time to think what words I'm going to use in my next sentence. It's as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. Okay, uh, my language machine, according to the rules of its programming, is generating all these strings of text way before. I mean, I simply cannot. I don't have the resources to actually 
talk and think about talking at the same time. It just comes out of my mouth right. the way it's programmed. And with words like answer and, and truth and all sorts of things, the is the default value in English. That's why I have people say that, because most people find that actually it's not even easy to say what's an answer to this problem. It sort of sticks in their throat. You know, what's the answer just rolls right off their tongues as easy as can be. But what's an answer just feels a little awkward. Not to everybody. Some people have begun to retrain themselves on this stuff and already understand much of this stuff. But uh, for a lot of people, it, it just feels awkward. So, uh, so the is the primary one. It's the one that occurs most often, hundreds and hundreds of times a day in most language machines. It's wrong at least 50% of the time. Then the other four are uh, what I call the program is the D.A.R.E. program, the and then D-A-I-R, dualism. And actually, all this stuff is so simple, it's embarrassingly simple. There's nothing in English 2.0, well, one point is kind of difficult, but four of the five, an eight-year-old can understand. It's so simple. In fact, that's always been an obstacle to teaching adults because it's so obvious, so apparent, that people just dismiss it as obvious and apparent, but they don't actually apply it. <laughs> okay. So um, dualism is very simple, two-valued logic, either or. The language, people are consistently have been trained to divide the world into two mutually exclusive opposites. Well, occasionally that actually is a useful analysis, but most often it's not. It's a gross distortion of what's actually what we're faced with. But it's simple. It makes us feel good to know that he's a good man or a bad man, Daddy. <laughs> you know, or right. uh, whether it's hot or cold. I mean, science wouldn't get very far if it was stuck with hot and cold for dealing with temperature. We have an infinitely uh, gradated scale that uh, that is far more serviceable tool for thinking about things like temperature than hot and cold. Anyway, there are just a bunch of things like that. So, too bad. And of course, I'm also I'm being real picky about this stuff because. Well, let me back up a second. I'm talking about English 2.0 is not meant to replace English by a long shot. English 2.0 would be lousy for poetry and picking up girls at bars. But uh, when you need to think clearly and accurately about some problem in life, that's when, this, that's when being picky starts to be helpful and eliminating unconscious, erroneous assumptions. Just like that surgeon story, uh, if we have to do serious thinking, dragging unconscious, erroneous assumptions into the situation is not a good idea. And I would assert the uh, acceptable level of erroneous, unconscious assumptions is zero. Probably not attainable, but at least we can eliminate the ones we know of. Two-valued logic pollutes all English. It's wrong almost all the time. Not always, but almost always wrong. Okay, and, the, and another one, A, is absolutism. You notice I said it's almost always wrong. Words like always, never, no, all, every. Words like that are almost always wrong. And again, it's picky, but if you listen to... Especially if you listen to arguments, if you're, if you're near someone who's actually having some sort of heated personal emotional argument, listen to the way the words the and absolutes and dualism is used. They're wrong, completely wrong most of the time. And the people who are having the argument are not 
have not chosen consciously to impose these things on their thinking. It's their language machines that have done this for them, and they believe it, because that's what's coming out of their language machine, the way it's been programmed. Uh, okay, so the reaffirmation... Well, I don't... Go ahead. Uh, well, one thing I have there, um, most people I've heard arguing are actually not really interested in winning the argument logically. They're more concerned with creating an emotional impact. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, if you go and yeah. have an, a technical argument, that's true, but most people arguing it's more for an emotional impact than anything else. Well, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah. I don't see how that is... Uh, and they use absolutism as a, as a hyperbole. Yeah. Well, but they, the thing is, they're not u- choosing to use language that way. Their language machines are generating it. People don't choose their language consciously. There isn't time for that. Language is generated automatically in the language machine according to the way it's been programmed. Period. And if you're a writer, you have the option of, uh, of editing it you know, before you release it. That's an entirely different process. But in talking, there is no time for that. I don't know what I'm going to say next. And I certainly am not picking the words. But I listen to myself, and if I come up with something stupid like an absolutism or a dualism or a misplaced the, I usually hear it and correct it, if it needs to be. I mean, sometimes I just ignore it, and sometimes I miss them. But, um, yeah. Hmm. Let me just finish. Well, some of the ideas you... Go ahead. Okay. Uh, The fourth one is... uh, Actually, it's the fifth one, but I'm reversing the order because I'm saving the I for last. Uh, The R is reification. Have you ever heard that term? No. Okay. Do you know what a a noun is? I mean, I know you know what a noun is, but you remember what you were taught in school? Yeah, um, something concrete, but that's not always true. Okay, see, well, you are very sophisticated. You're right. I was taught in school that a noun is a person, place, or thing. But, of course, that's not true. There are a whole class of nouns that are not substantives at all. They're abstractions like dignity, love, happiness, uh, fruitfulness, uh, you know, religion, uh, democracy, and on and on and on. I would say that a thing, in order to be a thing, you need to be able to put it in a bucket. Maybe, maybe. And, and even if it's a, a large Well, maybe bucket. you could change it to... You could change it to be person, place, thing, or meme. Well you, well, you could do that, but the problem with that is that then the, the concept of noun becomes meaningless. If it includes stuff like tacos and love, then I would say that's a useless category for thinking. <laughs> because uh, if you're going to have a category, it has to have something that distinguishes it from things that are not in that category. And this is a major problem in English, because the noun structure of English hides the difference between abstractions and concrete uh, things. And because of that, people end up looking for love the same way they look for their keys. It ain't going to work. There is no such thing as love. There's no such thing as democracy. If you and I have a disagreement about this spoon on my desk right here, well, you know, we can both sit down, we can take the spoon, and we can put it on a scale and weigh it. We can measure its length. We can do a chemical analysis of it. If we have a disagreement, we can probably solve that disagreement about, uh, about this spoon. 
Maybe not, but there's a good chance we can. Or at least come to an agreement that we can't uh, come to that. But if you and I have a disagreement about democracy, there is no such thing as democracy. There is no place we can go to solve a disagreement about democracy because there's no such thing. It can't be measured. It can't be weighed. It is not a thing. It's an idea. It's literally a word in our language machine that has some reference to some very complex patterns of real things in the world. But uh, if you want to talk sensibly about that, it's not easy. And the failure of English to do that is, do you know what a propositional function is in mathematics? Um... Well, it's very simple. X plus true, seven. false value. Yeah. True, false value theorem. Yeah, it does not like, have a true. A propositional function would be something like X plus 7 equals 10. It's specifying a type of relationship between two things, but it's not giving you the concretes of it. And therefore, X plus 7 equals 10 is not true or false. It cannot have a truth value until you give X a value, X a specific value. value. And then it becomes a proposition. 4 plus 7 equals 10 is a false proposition if you're operating in base 10. Um, so, actually, it could be a true proposition if you're operating in base 9. But <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the point being, um, you know, I've sidetracked myself on I do this often. My language machine just goes off on a tangent, and then I forget where I was going. Um, oh, anyway, yeah, propositional functions. Most philosophical, if, I mean, all you got to do is listen to a politician or a philosophy professor lecture, and you will hear nothing but propositional functions coming from their mouths. But these propositional functions use words that have high emotional value. So what people are responding to is it's an emotional response to familiar sounds. And that's very real, but uh, the information content is zero. They are all propositional functions. They are not capable of being true or false. Uh, so that's that's the fourth thing is reification and, and becoming aware of that, knowing when a statement is is worth arguing for or not, because if it's a propositional function there's no point in even pursuing it until you can identify what the variables are. And then the last one is identity, and that one is sort of tricky for adults. It's relatively simple for children. It really is just eliminating the verb to be from English. There's no need for the verb to be. It doesn't. It always makes the 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 world more confused. When you know what something is, you really only know what it's called. If I if you point at something and say, "What's that?" and I say, "Oh, that's a Chinese elm tree." You don't know anything about that. You don't know one bit more about that tree than you knew before. You do know what, what I called it in English, or what it may be called in English by most people. But it doesn't give you any information well, about the thing. The, but the, the referential value is still there. I mean, it, if, it could if, be. I, if but, I'm trapped in China and I don't speak Chinese, but uh, somebody points at something I believe to mean cup, that could be useful to me. Yeah, yeah. Just I'm not saying the word. I, I'm, I'm not saying that it's totally useless, but I'm saying that uh, that usually what people mean when they say what is something, that's not what they mean. They're, they're not merely putting a label on it. They think they have. If they say that guy is an asshole, what they're meaning something about his nature. They're not meaning something about how they choose to label him. Okay. <laughs> 
and 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 that's what I'm saying. Rather than saying he's an asshole, you can say he stole twenty bucks from me, and he plays his music really loud at night and steals stuff out of my refrigerator. Okay, now you know what I'm talking about. But to say he's an asshole gives you no information. It only says what it's again. It's, it tells you what I'm labeling him, and that there's no information in that. Okay. So, and again, I'm, I'm not going to go into. I can justify all of these things, but uh, but it takes a lot of effort to do that, and I'm and I'm not going to do it now. But the, you, those are the five stupidities, and um, the concept of identity has got serious implications for psychology too. And that's why I saved identity until the last. Like I say, for kids, it's not that big a problem. You can just tell them to not use the verb to be when they're doing any serious thinking. And that's okay, but uh, but for adults, it's uh, it's a whole different thing. And uh, mm. Tom just sent me a, a message saying, "What is this all about?" <laughs> I guess he doesn't have a mic. You don't have a mic, Tom Z or whatever uh, your name is. Uh, but if you read what the what it says above the box there about English 2.0, it'll tell you what it's about. Or you've been listening to us talk, so that's what it's about. So, and who am I talking to? What's your name, by the way, the the guy I've been talking to? Oh, I'm Stephen. Stephen, okay. Yeah. Stephen Cube. Stephen I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's much better than being squared. Could be, could be to end. Could oh, yeah, well, to the cubes, all, all three, all three of my initials are S. So. Ah, oh, good. Okay, I got it. So you write down SSS and that's algebraically, what? that's S cubed. <laughs> I like that. It's a good one. So, so those are the five stupidities, and for an adult to actually significantly reprogram their language machine is not an easy thing. Yeah. Um, this sort of uh, language alteration, though, also changes the way that a person might be able to think. I hope so. That's as the well. whole point. Yeah, that's that's the whole point. Of right, it. but some, sometimes sometimes interesting ideas have come out from from stupidity. You're right. Absolutely. Lack of a better word, stupidity yeah. and yeah. illogic. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I'm not suggesting that Earth uh, that uh, English two is a replacement of uh, English one. It's uh, a complement to it. It's only really necessary. Uh, Part of, you know maybe two to five percent of the time when you have some very serious thinking to do. Uh, normal English is fine for bowling, you know, and uh, picking up girls at bars, and you know, it's, uh, there's all sorts of of uh, things that English is just fine for. You know, it's just that when you want to do any serious thinking, um, English has got some problems, and and it would be nice to be able to complement with a debugged subset of English for rigorous thinking. Again, that's not all. The, the, the wildness of English is, is good. I mean, you're right. Sometimes some wonderful new things come out of insanity and paradox and, uh, and uh, confusion, and that, so that's not bad. It's just that that stuff works much better if there's also a rigorous side to it. Well, uh, classical Latin probably would be closest to what you are describing. Uh, there's there are some irregularities here and there, but 
it's it's uh, the most interesting feature I find about it is the whole sentence has to be rigorously structured, but the words can come in any order, so the yeah. meaning doesn't really become clear until, you get until the, the statement yeah. is complete. Yeah, right. Yeah. I studied so, and I just myself. Have, I, yeah, I just imagine how it must have been in, in the Roman Senate or even in the oh, Polish yeah. Yeah. Senate. Uh, listening to this guy speak for 20 minutes before he got to the end of the sentence. <laughs> no idea what he's saying. Very long sentence. <laughs> but, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting feature, though, that, that yeah. the, the, the thought isn't complete or transmitted until the sentence is completed. Well, that's really true. Whereas in English, too. I mean, you get, a, you get a preliminary idea, but sometimes it can be turned around in the end and turned into a sentence when you thought it was a, uh, a statement, can't it? Right. Right, but most people speak in patterns or project their thoughts in such a way oh, that yeah, yeah. Most, uh, can complete yeah, their thoughts. Yes, com yeah, mo well, most languaging in English is really very robotic. See, I would say most people, most of the time, are basically unconscious language monkeys. They're, they're <laughs> under, the, under the spell, literally living in a, in a sort of trance induced by the language machine. They are, they are swept along in that stream of language as though that's who they are. And that's why people kill people, because they're, they're taken over by their story, and their story says, kill him. So they do. Hmm. Yeah, Sometimes they think the voice is coming from the dog next door. And they so they kill <laughs> yeah. so they kill them. But that's just as it's not really any different than when they think the voice is them. The idea of obeying the voice is absurd. Why would anybody just blindly obey the voice? It's because it says to do something stupid. Oh, it's the dog next door, so I had to do it. <laughs> you know, no, it's my own language machine, so I had to do it. Well, if you think you are your language machine, yes, then you have to do it. That's really the central issue of this whole thing for me, is breaking the identity with the language machine and really getting clear that that voice is not who I am. That voice is my language machine. It's a machine, it's a meat machine, but it is a machine, and it's programmed. And not very well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you expect is something that programs itself by trial and error without any real clear examples. Yeah, well, it wasn't programmed by itself. It was programmed by its parents and mostly by television now. Because from the well, that's what I'm saying, trial and error yeah, programmed yeah, itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it, that's why it's time for a change. We are on the verge of a new world here. I mean, uh, we are witnessing the emergence of the first high-tech global civilization on this planet. And nothing like this ever happened before. All of our political, religious, psychological, social institutions are collapsing. They were all designed to service other eras, the industrial and the agricultural uh, societies. And those are all uh, passing in, not passing, but they're being overtaken by this high-tech communication global civilization. And we're going to have to create all new ways of doing things in the next 20, 30 years. So it would be very helpful if we could uh, think. And one of the things I think that's changing is that for the last 2,000 years, people have been identified with the language machine. You know, that's been a fundamental aspect of culture and morality and everything, that that language machine is I. 
prior to about 4,000 years ago, they didn't think that. Uh, they they heard voices, and the voices were the gods or their king, and the voices told them what to do. And, and in fact, there's a curious uh, parallel here between Christianity's uh, Adam and Eve story, because that occurred about the time that some people think when the ego arose, that prior to that, there were things that looked pretty much like you and me, but they didn't think the voice was them. They attributed the voice to God or something, but the, the voice was something other than me, and it told them what to do. And, and then somehow the language changed, the complexity of life changed, and this new idea showed up. Oh, that voice is me. I can do this, and I can do that. And that was a whole new thing, and it took several thousand years for that concept to, for that way of organizing thought to uh, to dominate. And, it, and it's still, there are still some places in the planet that probably that isn't functional at all. But now, we're since since computers have become... Uh, so important and we've got new ways of thinking about these things now new analogies we can make uh, it's become quite clear that that voice is not who I am it's, it's my language machine clearly whatever I am well not, now the question who am I becomes a really kind of interesting question because at least we can begin to ask that question more intelligently I don't have an answer actually I do have an answer for it but it's just a tentative theory of mine about what I really is but it's not necessary to answer that question what's necessary is to start asking that question more intelligently because I is clearly not the language machine and anyone who thinks anyone who is identified with the language machine is a human being and human beings are simply not capable of managing a global civilization as you can see if you read the paper <laughs> end of At that least some of us anyway <laughs> well I, I think no well it's not some of us i think that that really i'm i'm quite serious talking about a new species uh human beings are interested in uh spreading their genes transhumans are interested in spreading ideas Ideas are much more important than genetics now. What color your eyes are, your hair, your skin, or how tall you are, or all that crap is totally irrelevant. How you think is the most important thing in the world now. A planet full of unconscious language monkeys worked uh, in the agricultural era and even in the industrial era to a, to a degree. But now individuals, you and I, have way too much power uh, for good or evil uh, to remain basically unconscious language monkeys that just, you know, do what they do. It's just not, that isn't going to work. We need, we need a new species. And the difference between the new species and the old is whether or not you're identified with your language machine or not. Not genetic. Hmm. That's a lot, I know. That's a, it's a, that's, this is heavy duty stuff in a lot of ways. And, and uh, it's really it's been really interested interesting for me. Well, I mean, if you're going to carry the uh, carry the uh, uh, comparison there, if you're going to take the language processing and call it your language machine, yeah, and divorce it from your identity, right? Uh, if we go back and we take a step back and look at something completely different, like the computer, for example, yeah. Um, if you take away its language processor, its operating system. 
uh, it's it's a useless box. Yeah, right. so yeah, it's like a person in a so the, so that I the I may I may not be the language processor, but the language processor is certainly part of I. Oh yeah, it's it's crucial. It, it's it's part of how I is operating. Or me, if you yeah. prefer. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. This is no. You're you're really caught on to this exactly because the way. Uh, the way we use pronouns in English reinforces a certain attitude about who I am. I mean, when we say I is the programmer, I mean, it, that would sound, it would appear to be ungrammatical. But actually, if you think about it, uh, it may not be ungrammatical. It may be a way of speaking that's, that has a very different assumption about the nature of I. I is the programmer. Right. That's putting it out away from, you know what I'm saying? I mean... Grammar has a huge influence on this stuff. Again, the way the way English uses pronouns is part of how this con- how we get sucked into believing we are the language machine because of the way uh, pronouns are programmed to operate. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, like I said again, though, if you divorce your language capability. Then you've destroyed the I, whatever I is. Well, no, no, you haven't destroyed it. I agree that it most likely is not completely the uh, language processing. I don't see why uh, you say it's destroyed the I. That makes who I am or is. Um, But if I take that. Go on. Did you uh, did your microphone die? Did 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 your Skype just crash or something? With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.